We would like to welcome you to our second episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel at the Alberta Regional Professional De- Development Consortia, or ARPDC. My name is Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC, and my co-host in this series is Charlie Craig of the Learning Network Educational Services Regional Office of ARPDC. Before we get started today with our guest, David Robertson, I would like to acknowledge that Charlie and I are, are recording this from Alberta, that I live and work and play in the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Siksika, Kainai, Pikani, the Sutina and Iaxi Nakoda Nations, and Métis Nation Region 3, and all the people who make their home in Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. I have learned much about this land and those who have lived and walked on it before me, and anticipate continuing that learning for years to come, grateful for the wisdom that others have shared. Charlie, uh, your turn. I am, I'm coming from the middle of the ish middle ish of the province uh in red deer and um interestingly enough it is a border town of sorts um with both treaty six and treaty seven um areas um included within the city and so depending on where you are within red deer um you will be on different treaty territories recognized by uh, two different treaties and i always um, love the opportunity to to learn from the land and appreciate the land. And right now it is gorgeously sunny outside and the sparkle of the sun off the snow is just delightful. Uh, so hoping that listeners today can get a chance to take a moment and breathe in the beauty of Mother Earth and all that the land offers us. And the beauty of that being whatever day you listen to this, we invite you to do that. Correct. <laughs> today we are deeply honored to engage in a conversation with David Robertson, multiple award-winning author from Winnipeg, um, and a member of the Norway House Cree Nation. And uh, David, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're coming from. We uh, we know we're going to have a conversation around your books and things of that nature, but the great land that you live in and have grown up in. Yeah, so I'm uh, in Winnipeg, which is Treaty 1 territory. Um, so it's a traditional gathering place of the um, uh, Anishinaabe, Cree, Dakota, uh, Ojibwe Cree. And um, it's also the that like OG homeland of the of the Red River Métis. So my wife is a is a is a Red River Métis. Um, so it's, uh, that's where I'm at right now. And Norrie House is Treaty 5 territory. So um, that's where my dad was born and raised. Thank you very, very much for that. Charlie has the first question for us. So fire away, Charlie. Okay. So this is the first of the skill testing questions. Are you ready for this? We're not in <laughs> double jeopardy yet, but we're, we're just slowly gearing up. You can, um, call, a, you can call a friend. That's right. Um, so we're curious to know, what are you currently reading or recently have read that you enjoyed and would recommend? I'm just um, finishing up reading uh, When We Lost Our Heads by Heather O'Neill. Um, so that book is um, really like astounding, you know. I mean, Heather, whatever she does is, is going to be good. So um, it's like ridiculously um, good, though. Um, so I, I've really enjoyed reading that book. Um, and I'm just about to start in on uh, A History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt. Um, so I have, I'm kind of late to the party reading that one. My TBR is like really, really, really high. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm writing so much that I don't have a lot of time to read. Um, but uh, I try to, you know, I try to always have a book on the go. It might Sometimes it might take me a, a week or two to finish. But um yeah, so, the, but that, Heather's book is, uh, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And, um, uh, and then another book that I think every Canadian should actually read is probably um, in Valley of the Birdtail, which you, you just showed me, but like that book is, you know, that, that book is a really important book because um, the structure of it, the story of it, and how it can serve as, as an example for 
you know, how we may go about this process of reconciliation. I think it's a, it's a really, you know, it's a really important book. So um, I, I also like that book. I read that book um, early this year, late last year. So. Well, thank you. We actually just spoke to the authors of that book and um, all agree foundational reading for all Canadians, educators, humans in general, um, lots to learn and, and unpack. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of those essential background reading texts, aside from all of yours, of course. Uh, you know, I, I do feel that book is going to just get a more popular, like gradually over time too. It's going to be like mm -hmm. a, one of those slow burning, um, you know, consistently um, important books. So we're, we're very committed. Uh, I, maybe I, I'm very committed to, to getting that book out there and working with the authors on this. We have managed to get a few school divisions, and I know some school divisions in Manitoba as well that have ordered 40 and 50 copies of the book and and some for their entire staff. And yeah, it's it's really incredible. Um, mm -hmm. In about uh, late October, I think it was, I saw an announcement that you have taken on a new role uh, as the editorial director of Tundra Books with Penguin. Uh, creating opportunities for emerging Indigenous writers and, and authors. How is that going? I think you've only been in it for a couple of months. Yeah, so I've been, I've been working on that for um, a little while um, with uh, Penguin. Uh, and, and the original talks were um, with uh, with me and my dear friend, Sri Demeline. Um, and so we were we were working on that together. Um, Shree's, you know, still a big supporter of it, obviously. Um, uh, you know, she's really uh, interested in and passionate for creating opportunities for new and emerging writers as well. Um, she just, you know, got so crazy busy, you know, that, um, you know, she and she trusted me to, you know, carry on that and 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 start it off. Um, so, but yeah, so I'm doing this um, new imprint um, that's uh, with Penguin Random House. Um, it's going to be an imprint that I am able to like kind of direct and run and and kind of manage uh, what kind of books I want to publish under it. Um, there's a focus on all children's literature, so in different forms of uh, writing. So whether it's graphic novels, picture books, um, YA middle grade, um, you know, so the focus is on children. And uh, I want to um, give new and emerging writers opportunities to break into the publishing industry, um, indigenous writers who otherwise maybe wouldn't have gotten an opportunity and who have really important stories to tell. Uh, and so I'm looking at um, giving them opportunities, but also maybe doing a bit of mentorship, uh, working with them as well to develop ideas and and to um, to make sure that we uh, you know build up this amazing movement that we're seeing in Canada where more and more indigenous writers are having their work put out there in the world and just to play a part in that uh, growth is you know pretty exciting for me uh, I feel like I was given opportunities um, by people who came before me and I feel like it's important that we also give opportunities to those who are going to be here after we're done what we're doing so so is there any anyone on the horizon that we need to like keep our eyes peeled for? I'll have some um, really exciting people to announce next year, but nice. I'm uh, mom's the word for the imprint name, logo, um, you know, um, people we've kind of are talking with to sign up. Um, but yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. It'll probably come early summer, late spring, um, a big announcement. So. I really love, I'm intrigued by your, your concept of, you know, a mentorship piece and wonder how you might be able to leverage that across to educators across Canada to be your talent scouts, as it were, or, or uh, supporting angels, whatever the case may be, to help push kids that previously maybe were somewhat invisible or certainly invisible in the collections of books in the classroom uh, something we'll come to a little bit later um okay switching gears just a little bit i first had the opportunity to hear you in 2021 when you presented in the alberta summer lit institute that we hosted here and once again thank you for that and barren grounds 
was uh, my first introduction to your writing. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and then passed on copies to my two granddaughters. They enjoyed it, although I think I was stretching them a little because one was in grade four at the time, and it might be a little bit up, but she's a really avid reader, so she she dove in and, and got through it. I was speaking with uh, my son, Brent Gilson, who teaches at uh, junior-senior high here in town, and fairly prolific in the social media world in literacy, and, and we're wondering about the planning process and you know at what part at what point did you plan for this to be a series and how do you go about laying out the tidbits or breadcrumbs uh, for a reader to connect back and forth through the books so if you could maybe speak on that a little bit yeah first of all i love i love brant uh i, I love uh his his uh, social media threads he's uh He's kind of fun to follow and um, really seems like a really great guy. Um, so I um, so The Baron Grounds is a book that came about when I was researching um, like Cree constellation stories. So I just was like um, reading all of these different stories related to different constellations in the sky. Um, you know, different indigenous cultures have lots of sky stories and um, the Cree people are no different. And um, I worked, I happened to work with a really great Indigenous astronomer, um, Wilford Buck, and he has a book um, that is available through uh, MFNERC, uh, which is an education resource center um, that redocuments a lot of his research uh, in different constellation stories and traditional stories. And um, as I was reading through them, and then began to read other stories, um, I just fell in love with them. Like I fell in love with the richness of the storytelling. I fell in love with the, the kind of the, the morals that the stories had or how they taught um, about how th things came to be. Um, you know, so how they, how they explained, you know, how the robin got its red breast or, um, you know, how they explained, you know, um, how an animal's tail became crooked or, you know, all these like different little <laughs> um, details that um, are kind of fun and how they, um, these traditional stories kind of explain the existence, even of like, you know, um, how the bear's tail is short and stuff like that. So um, I, I just felt like as I was reading through them, I, I wanted more people to, to know them, you know? And so I felt like I, I just felt this pull to adapt them um into a story and so the the first story that really resonated with me was um called the fisher star constellation story so a fisher is like a weasel crossed with wolverine kind of looking animal and um it was it's a story about how he got placed into the sky and how his tail became broken and um it's the big dipper like ursa major mm -hmm. and so um you know the story was about uh, also, the I mean, the ethics of it, the morality of it was about like, you know, the, the land stewardship, land protection, you know, and climate change, you know, all those things very timely, you know, even though old stories, you know, we, we saw it coming, I think. So um, I, I just felt like I want to start off with that one. And then there were a couple others, though, that I felt like also I wanted to pay attention to. So they didn't all fit into one thing. And I decided that I needed to make it a series. And so, um, and for me, it was just fleshing it out in terms of like how I was going to put, you know, kids in there. Cause I wanted to make it a middle grade series, a fantasy series. So um, I love the construct of portal stories. And so I, you know, Narnia was a big series in the, when I was a kid that I really liked. Um, and so I read that series over again to learn a little bit of how C.S. Lewis did it. Um, and yeah, I just kind of, um, you know, I made up a couple of Cree kids, thought about issues that were important to me and I've wanted to write about foster care for a long time. So, you know, I, I made them kids in foster care and, um, it's also becomes the catalyst for this kind of escapism, um, you know, through, through the portal into this other world. Um, and then the, the way in which I kind of planned it all out, you know, I, I really don't like when 
series don't plan ahead you know and trilogies like <laughs> look at the new star wars trilogy by the way so you know <laughs> the, the new star wars trilogy um individually you know a couple of those movies are pretty good but like they don't fit together it, it's very obvious that one filmmaker didn't um plan with the other filmmakers so they're, they're very disjointed and um and so that when things happen like that in in ongoing stories uh in books or you know movies or television it really bothers me so i didn't want to make that same sort of mistake so before i started writing the barren grounds i mapped out the three stories um so i wove together um the fisher star constellation story um the big bear constellation and the sweat lodge constellation and i constructed a story around those three um you know traditional stories and it was just you know um how you go about it is you 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 stick to the same structure for both of them um you plan out those outlines but then you treat the entire trilogy as its own story and you you also build out that story and you know the, the important plot points but if you do that too you're able to you know um, plan for something that happens in book one to pay off in book three and so you have it all kind of mapped out and so it's just it's just a lot of meticulous planning and um and making sure that you know the payoff's always there um, that everything you mentioned is explained uh, and um, you, you're really doing a service to the reader um, and you're you're meeting their expectations, but maybe surprising them in some ways as well. But um, yeah, so it was just it was just a fun, fun story to kind of construct and and build and plan. And it was very meticulous. Uh, and it was for me, it was like taking all that planning and then executing, you know, in writing the, the stories. I love that. I was describing the series to someone and I was like, it's kind of like the line, the witch in the wardrobe, like, and, and I use that example as uh, so I love that you did some, you know, shout out to CS Lewis in your research to Yeah, without yeah, the Christianity, was, but yeah, it was, that's right. Yeah, just yeah, the portal part. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. It, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, we like planners in our in our field of work, we're planning people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. Do you want to jump I'm in? Kinda, I'm kind of abstract random, but I, I definitely can envision teachers um, and listeners listening to that part a couple of times. I, I used to, in my English class, say, you know, imagine I had some students who actually had read Tom Clancy, and I'm kind of like, imagine the character storyboard when you're getting into the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, like, what wall does is all of that on <laughs> and, mm. and I, you know you would have been i imagine doing it maybe you did it on paper or maybe you had poster paper all over the wall i could see how you would do that but yeah it, it stories don't just happen they have to be thought through and what a great example star wars yeah it, you know now you're getting the backstory to here and it's reconstructing deconstructing and dropping out of space pun intended that's it's fantastic. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, the original trilogy was really planned out, and even the the prequel trilogy was really planned out. So it kind of was bewildering to me that they didn't plan out the new trilogy. But not to, I mean, I love Star Wars, so it's not, you know. Oh yeah, but I'm all about Andor. There we go. Yeah, I just started watching that one. It's good. Rogue One's a <laughs> Rogue One's a great movie. Yes. I'm just smiling along because I'm like several movies behind. But at oh. some point in my life, I'm probably going to catch up. Um, so, David, it's, I would say, rare in the publishing world that an author chooses to write across audiences and, and genres, right? Everything from picture books to the, the middle years, young adult books to adult fiction um with great success uh it seems like everything you touch just kind of turns into awards uh so what elements of the author's craft of your expertise would you say transfers across and are there parts that don't transfer as you switch gears between audiences well the, first of all i'll say that i i lose a lot more awards than i win but i <laughs> i um but i do appreciate even getting shortlisted because it's very hard to get, you know, I mean, there's so many good books that are published every year and um, it's, awards season is just, you know, it's, uh, it's just a lot of luck, you know, and it's, um, there, there's a lot of books that are better than what I write that don't get attention. So I feel really fortunate. Um, the, 
Yeah, so I think that like the different kind of forms of literature I've tried across different genres, um, they do kind of cross pollinate in a way. So, you know, like writing dialogue in graphic novel scripting, um, it helps me to write more believable dialogue and prose writing, you know, in, in novels. Um, you know, poet poetry helps me to write maybe more poetic description uh, and, you know, expository writing in, in novels. Um, so, and, and also helps me to write um, to, to, the, to the proper rhythm and flow in picture books. So, you know, the picture books are really, you know, uh, poems to me, like they, they have that kind of pace and beauty to the to the to the to the word and the the words in the language. Um, I, I feel like um, I try to challenge myself as a writer. So I mean, part of it is that I want to be the best out there. I, I I'll, I'll never be the best out there. There's a lot of writers who are better than me, but I feel like if I wasn't trying to be the best, then I'd be selling myself short. So the trying is the thing, right? So if I challenge myself to get better and continually strive to get better, I'm going to be the best writer I can be. And, you know, where that leaves me, I don't, I don't really assess that, but like, I, I want to, I want to be the best I can be. And, um, and part of that is stretching yourself, you know, and trying new things and, and seeing how good you can, how good you can write, how well you can write um, in, <laughs> in all these different, you know, genres. Like, you know, I've, I've been, I've written, you know, pretty good picture books. I've written pretty good novels. I've written pretty good graphic novels. And um, I've liked the challenge of, of doing that, you know, um, an adult, adult, adult fiction. Um, so, um, but I think the, the real um, intent for me is to write books that can reach a wide, as wide an audience as possible. Because the books that I write, you know, they, they all have something to say that I feel um, people benefit from, from reading, you know, so whether it's a picture book about residential schools, you know, whether it's a adult fiction book that, um, represents mental health and normalizes it, um, you know, whether it's, uh, graphic novels that teach history, um, you know, to elementary school kids or to high school kids, um, whether it's a graphic novel series that has, you know, a, a authentically written indigenous superhero, you know, so that's the real reason that I try to, you know, write all these different forms of literature and different genres, because I feel like I have a lot to say and I can't say it all in one type of book. Um, so the, I think it's, it's probably both things, but that's what really I think of most. Do you have a preference? Like, do you find yourself drawn to? I really love picture books. I, I love picture books. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've written two pretty good ones and I, but I, I've, I love the process of, I, I love the pursuit of perfection because a picture book like needs to be perfect. You know, there, there are so few words in it. It's the hardest form of writing to me. And um, because every single word has to be just right every single punctuation you use has to be just right because it dictates flow. It dictates how they're, they're read. And that experience, that experiential part of, you know, picture book um, um, reading is, you know, because it's done between two people usually, or between one person and many children. Um, so if it's read well, I mean, that enhances the experience experience of of having it of hearing it and if you as a writer can can write it in such a way that dictates the pace in the exact right way then i think that you've done a really good job um so i like i like the challenge of trying to do that um but i feel like picture books are my favorite thing to write um although i will say that you know i, I like to write middle grade fantasy and um i do like i really like writing theory of crows so, but I do think if I had to choose one, it'd probably be picture books. When you work on picture books, you also are working with an artist usually, right? Or are you the artist on your books? No, <laughs> no, no, no. If I, you know, if I drew my stuff, no one would buy it. No, I, no, I work with, I, the book, two picture books I've done, I've, I work with Julie Flett, who's like, you know, Julie Flett's like a national treasure um and she's also like just the most beautiful human being 
Um, so yeah, no, I've, I'm, I don't, I don't draw. I can't, I can't draw. And the, the artist brings something to the equation as well. It, they know the words you're working with and, and work on color and layout and, and little nuggets in the graphics that bring the story further to life. You know, as I moved away from being close in proximity to my grandchildren, I started recording some of those uh, just on YouTube and literally like uh, the dot by Peter Reynolds read by grandpa for his grandchildren and then read it and then send them the, the YouTube link so they could, so, so grandpa could read to his grandchildren. And, you know, the pace, as you said, yeah. I mean, as a reader, you want to honor the pace and, and even point out some of the nuggets that are in the picture as you're going along without yeah. distracting from the story. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, the illustrator as, is as much a storyteller as the writer is in picture books and in graphic novels. So, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise they would just be books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, a big. I feel like this is a big passion for you, and certainly you have been in and around it. And and it's a disturbing piece in in some ways. I was down at a conference in the United States uh, with Brent actually this uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, heard again more tales around this. So you know, there's classroom libraries, there's school libraries, there's books at home. Elementary and junior and senior high classrooms have libraries. I think it's safe to say um, all three of us are big fans of books being visible and available. You've been involved in a couple of interesting discussions in the last few years about books, yours and others, that should, should not, in the opinion of some, be in school or available and visible, particularly to youth. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dear Martin, uh, it's a story of a, a black youth writing letters to Martin Luther King as he's trying to work out all of his challenges uh, and the racism that he's facing in a high-end school. That book was recently banned in some states in the United States, and, and, and it was just it's, it's disturbing, as was your experience recently with uh, The Great Bear. Um how would you frame the discussion around this entire piece for teachers, youth, parents, and school boards? Um, well, on the part of the school board and libraries, I, I think it comes down to um, preparedness, you know, because these um, book bannings are going to happen at a higher frequency or the attempts to ban are going to happen at a higher frequency. Um, you know, it's coming it's something that's kind of tri tri trickling up from the states and it's you know it's in some ways it's a little unavoidable um and what what you can do on that level is just create proper policy and follow that policy so that you can um you have that kind of um barrier or support to um you know to um acknowledge requests to um challenge to challenge books um by usually parents and um and go through the process and keep the books on the shelves because part of that process too is is vetting the books before you put them on the shelves in the first place so um if you fall if you if you do things properly then the books that are challenged um are never really going to be pulled um what what you can't do is bow to the pressure of parents and um, and just pull a book without going through the process uh, or following your own policy, you know? And so, and that's what happened in Durham, you know? So um, Durham had a, a, a challenge book policy and didn't follow it. And so when they had um, a request to challenge the great bear, um, it, it was immediately pulled from shelves and also from classrooms. And, um, and so when I kind of challenged them on in turn about not following their own policy, um, you know, that they, they had kind of given me this circular argument of, well, you know, the indigenous education um, department has their own policy. 
And so I looked at that and their policy said to refer to the board policy. So <laughs> I said, well, then that that's, you know, that's like, so you're not, you're still not following your policy because the policy is the policy. Like you say, refer to the, so it was just such a weird um, thing, but I think that you have to have the courage of your conviction. So you, you, if you put books onto the shelves that kids ought to be reading, which I think a lot of li librarians and teachers are doing, um, then you also have to be able to be prepared to defend them um, because children have the right to read them. You know, um, what, what's happening is that parents are projecting their own un unreadiness onto children. Um, and, you know, so they're, they're looking at, for example, books by writers from the LGBTQIA2S community. And, you know, they're, especially in the States, and they're saying, you know, my, you know, I don't want to read that. My kids don't, my kids, you know, shouldn't be reading it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go to the board and I'm going to get that book pulled. Um, and it, it, it like indoctrinates children to, you know, whatever, you know, like turns them gay or something stupid like that. Like it's ridiculous. So um, like, so what, but that's the, that's a reflection on the parents' um, belief system and their unreadiness and the way that they were brought up. So, um, and they're, they're in turn, you know, in, in harming the children because they're not allowing them to read good literature that um, presents and reflects um, a diversity that we live in. Like, you know, the communities that we live in, uh, we ought to be reading books that reflect the, the communities that we live in. And the communities that we live in are diverse. You know, they're, they're made up of indigenous people, of black people, of Asian people, of trans people, of gay people straight people like so i mean we the whole thing with reconciliation is that we need to like listen to each other's stories and and learn from those stories and like function uh, together as a community because we have developed respect for each other from what we've learned and a lot of that comes through storytelling so if we're pulling these stories and not allowing kids to read them we're harming our communities I, you know, I really believe that. So I, I really think that, you know, I don't know if it'll get as bad here as it is in the States, but it's definitely happening. You know, mm -hmm. if you can do it to a book like The Great Bear, which is really an uncon, not really a controversial book at all, you know, um, then it can happen to any book, you know. So I think it's just, you know, preparing ourselves properly to deal with um, challenged books and uh, to make sure that, um, kids um, aren't disserviced by having those books pulled and taken from their hands. Yeah. Now, tell us your story. No, no, no. Don't tell us your story that way. Tell us, <laughs> tell us your story the way I can be comfortable without having to reflect on my role in your story or how mm. your story might impact. No, okay. Just stay in, stay in the lane I want you to stay in. Yeah. And, and do, you, do you think for one second that parents, for example, in the States who are, you know, um, asking for books by LGBTQI2S writers to be um, challenged or pulled, that they've actually read those books? There's no way in how they have. Right. Not, so, not with the, any sort of open mind and no. or reflective yeah. mindset. No. And, and rarely to completion. Like uh, no. that book in particular, like I, I just, um, letters to Martin, like I just, what, how is that possible? I, you know, and I, and I think people are missing the point, which, which kind of leads in, I, I feel, to a, a jumbled question. It's jumbled in my head. I hope you can kind of make some sense of it. But it, it, how we can learn uh, from our characters about the character in a book, but also about ourselves. And, and, and so as I've been pondering this, Morgan, the protagonist hero of the Misawa saga, right? It, am I, that, I certainly see her that way. She's one of the two... Um, kids you talked about earlier a foster kid uh, presented and just literally the hero of the story all the way through without spoiler alerts there where did you get the muse for morgan like where did that come from and how did you build that character out and i was really excited to hear you touch on it a little bit there earlier but now when we talk about people reading and and getting this in front of uh, youth and and adults i've read it charlie's read it 
you've re- you wrote it. Um, so everybody <laughs> in this room is familiar with this story. But the thought I have is now I'm working with students, grade 5, 6 to grade 12, who have a lot of stuff going on in their life, right? A lot of social, emotional, etc. And I find myself wondering how understanding character development looking at at the development of Morgan might help them understand self-development in a more uplifting, less daunting way. I wonder what you think about that. Well, I think that um, books and characters, um, you know, they, they do one of two things. They either reflect the reader, you know, so they, they represent the reader and empower them by, um, because the character either like looks like them or shares experiences with them or is struggling with the same things they're struggling with. And that reflection helps readers see things in themselves um, that they may not, may not have otherwise seen. And it's, that's healing. It's cathartic and it's really important. Um, The other thing that books do though, is they, they help us, uh, they act as windows where we can see other people in our communities, in our classrooms um, and learn about them and understand their lives. And, um, and they also show us that other people can be heroes. You know, it's, it's not just the characters that look like us. So, um, so I, I think to, to your point, it's, it's, um, it helps us to understand ourselves. Um, it helps us to understand others. And, um, and really, like, that's, to me, that's the goal of stories you know, um, is, is just like building up a community where we just like, you know, we, we, we know each other, we've learned about each other, uh, and we respect the way that we live. We uh, recognize the similarities that we have in our lives, the shared humanity, but we also, um, see our differences and understand them and respect them, you know, and, and I, so I, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's kind of how I see, um, you know, a character like Morgan, you know, for a Cree foster kid, she's a very powerful character, you know, mm-hmm. it's because it's a very underrepresented segment of the population. Um, for someone who's, you know, dealing with some mental health stuff, she's, you know, she's also a really important character. Um, but also like for a white kid reading that book, I mean, you, you learn, you learn, you learn a lot about a Cree, Cree girl, you learn a lot about foster care, you learn a lot about different things that they they, they might not be going through themselves. But it helps them and normalizes things. Uh, it helps them understand things, um, you know, better than maybe they would have in any other way. Because stories um, are engaging, they generate empathy. Um, I mean, there's so much. There's so many things about them that are make it like this really safe and beautiful place to learn. Um, so that, that's within the pages of a book. So awesome. Uh, yeah, like this flows so beautifully into my next question. I love it when this happens. Um, <laughs> so both your memoir of um, Blackwater and then obviously by extension on the Trapline, which is the children's book adaptation of that story or that experience. And then as well as the theory of crows are exploring this idea um, of blood memory and connection to the land. So can you talk a little bit about this um, obviously reoccurring theme? I'm assuming it's something you've experienced in your life. Um, Yeah, can you unpack that a little bit as an opportunity to learn more? It's a really simple concept, um, but it's very, um, in my life, it's been a very uh, healing and powerful concept. And and it's it's helped me to develop a stronger sense of identity. What it is, is a feeling of belonging um, that is kind of woven into the fabric of who we are, um, and it and it, 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 it it's embodied in 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 place. So, uh, like when I went to the trapline with my father um, in 2018, um, I had never been to the trapline before. Uh, my dad had told me about it, but I'd never been there before. As soon as I stepped out onto the land, I felt like I had gone home. Like, you know, the feeling you get when you walk into your house at night and you just feel like, here I am, I'm comfortable. This is where I belong. That's the feeling I got. And so, but but I had never been there before. 
and what I, what I have come to understand is that, um, you know, my, my father was, uh, was raised there. You know, my grandparents lived there. Um, and their experiences, their attachment to the land um, has been passed down to me. You know, it's been woven into the fabric of my DNA, you know, and so, um, and that's, that makes it also a home to me. And I think as well, like, I think the land also remembers us, you know, and, and I, I, lo I love that concept. And that's kind of why I wrote Theory of Crows. It's like, it's, it's like this relationship that we have with each other, with, uh, with our ancestors, with, um, with the land, you know, and, and, um, and so it's just, it's really just like, it's the, the, the lives of those who came before us um, and their experiences, where they lived, um, it's, it lives within us. It like runs through our veins. And, 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 I, and I felt that, you know, I felt this kind of just feeling of home and calm when I was there. And I couldn't really describe it other than to say, um, it's because my dad grew up there. So I don't know. I, I mean, I've had that feeling when I return home to where I grew up, but I, I was, I've obviously been there before. Um, and I, and I liken it to, you know, there's a certain spot in the road where you come around the mountain, I grew up in the mountains and there's just like this peace that settles into your soul. Like it mm -hmm. just, it's like the whole, you're being exhales for lack yeah. of a better descriptor. Um, and so I just, I, I just love this idea, um, that it can connect us beyond the fact that I've been to this place and you've experienced it going back to a place that you've never been, but someone else had been. Um, yeah, I think it's just beautiful. I can't oh. stop writing about it. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. So this next question is a selfish question. Um, are you planning a sequel to the theory of crows? Because it was really good and like <laughs> got to the end and I'm like, Hey, I need to hang out with these people a little bit more. Um, and it, there was just so many ways to connect into the characters, whether it was the, the mental health challenges of life, the loss of a parent, the parenting of a, a teen, the return to, you know, your origin. Like there's just so many pieces. Um, any chance, any chance that's on your to-do list, David? Cause I would personally appreciate that. Um, I don't, I don't think so. Um, <gasps> and I, the reason <laughs> I'll tell you why I wanted the story to end in such a way that the reader would, um, the characters would live on in the reader's heads so that, um, you know, hopefully the characters connected with readers enough that they would imagine their lives beyond that moment, you know? And I love that about stories is that to me, the, the best thing about stories, the, the thing that makes them work the most are, are the characters. When readers connect with the characters, they connect with the story. And the characters that are written the best resonate with readers the most. So um, when, you, when you finish reading, you, um, you miss them they feel like you feel like you know them like they're real people and yes. and so you think about them and you wonder what they're up to you know um when i wrote yes. the evolution of alice years <laughs> ago like evolution of alice was a short story collection but it was like a interconnected stories and um i kept thinking about the characters after that so i ended up writing another short story that continued that you know their lives because i missed them so, I mean, maybe one day I'll, I'll write a short story with, you know, Holly and Matt and Claire and um, revisit them. Um, but I feel like I left it at a place where I was really happy um, with, with where I left them. I, I feel like I know what they're doing right now. Um, but I also don't like to tell readers what they're doing because re readers might, uh, they might also be living in other readers' heads and they might, you know, be doing different things um in you know in in the the lives that other people are imagining for them so and that's beautiful i think that's great you know and so i can't really imagine myself writing a sequel to it um i think i left them where i wanted to leave them um and um but you know that they, they live on 
and I they do I so I mission accomplished well well written yeah. characters because I keep thinking you know I wonder what they're up to I wonder how life is going for them right now yeah. um and yeah so I would say you definitely left them in the most perfect place to to be curious about where they're what they're up to and where they're headed next mm-hmm. yeah I like that I like that 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 they live they you think about them like that so makes me happy nowadays and and probably in days past as well there's a lot of conversation around mentor text and as you've been giving charlie this answer she did not want this answer from you she wanted a, an answer that oh yes it turns out it's a three-part series <laughs> but um that you have all mapped out but i found myself thinking and and uh with with mentor text, you're working off of something that an author has written, and then you're invited to take that. And now, okay, for you, where does it go next? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I've, I, as you were answering, I was like, okay, Charlie, there's there's the piece. You write how, something that bridges or riffs off of these characters, pull these characters into your story, and how it takes you over here. And there's that's. That's kind of the beauty of it all, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you, we, you started by... Oops. Stop it. Hey, that's got a nice harmonic sound to it. Anyway. <laughs> pause. That's kind of the beauty of all this. You started by referring to um, part of the muse that uh, informed this being from classics, right? Like sometimes people talk about... well. You know, we need more diversity in the classroom. And I'm a big fan that we definitely need more diversity in our classroom libraries. And people need to be able to see themselves in the mirror and see others through the windows in the various books that, that are there. But the classics can inform and bring other stories in, just as you did in your trilogy, which is which is absolutely beautiful. That's, that's very uh, empowering. You know, take a read of this. Now, off of this, where does where might this take you? Um, we've come to the, the last question that we had in mind to ask you today. And kind of want you to, I invite you to sort of lean into the mic on this one a little bit. <laughs> uh, not, that, not metaphorically speaking, but what would you like to offer as advice, support for teachers today to encourage creative writing for themselves and their students. You know, there's such a, hey, five-paragraph essay, got to be ready for the diploma and, or whatever high-stakes exam exists in, 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 in everywhere, but creative writing is the juice of life, uh, the nectar, as it were. How would, how would you like to say that to teachers and students? I, I don't know if I could say it much better than that. I mean, I feel like stories are the lifeblood of healing and, you know, identity and understanding and love. And I mean, it's like, you know, you don't get, for example, like reconciliation without truth and truth or stories, you know, and we all need to tell our stories. We all need to hear each other's stories. Um, I really, I really believe that that's how we build community. I really believe that that's how we are going to get through a lot of the things that we're experiencing today is, um, is through stories. And, you know, when we write a story, we heal, but you also help others to heal, you know, because you never know who's going through what you're going through and how a story will help them connect with those struggles and help them understand them and heal, heal with you you know, in, in, in the experience of shared stories. So there's, there's um, an immeasurable benefit to writing and reading stories or, or, you know, writing um, and hearing stories. Um, So I, I just feel like, um, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's just like, it's, it's just the, um, it's it's just the lifeblood of like i don't know of community of of everything you know i don't know i don't know how else to put it but like yeah which which is also why it's so important to not 
like, would you ever just say, Hey, stop telling that story? Oh, and, never. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, and that's the same piece when someone says, I've put this story and it just so happens to be in print here. I, I would like to share it with you. No. I mean, you do have the agency to pick up what book you want to pick up, but you shouldn't ever have the agency to take the ability to take that agency away from anybody else. And so, mm -hmm. like you say, by sharing our stories we and and listening like, mm -hmm. to the stories, it's, it's, it's one thing to share, but if nobody's reading or nobody's listening, and there's a huge difference between hearing the story and listening to the story, bringing it into your heart and into your mind, that that's where the magic lies and david i want to thank you for allowing old grandpas like me to pick up a ya book and and read it and and thoroughly enjoy the adventures of eli and morgan and and all of the characters that came to in that and the way you too wove in in that the the dangers on the environment and the impact of environmental change, which which I did not expect when I picked up Marrow Thieves, for example, to, to see all that woven in there as well, right? And, and it's a great uh, book. That's a great yeah. book. Oh, yeah, it was, was not what I expected when I picked it up and took a while to figure out, oh, that's what that means. Mm -hmm. But just, you know, tremendous ways for us to learn, expand our empathy, and just be better people. Uh, with and for each other. So th thank you very much for this time uh, together. Appreciate it. Look forward to having you do further sessions in, in Alberta for teachers. And and thanks for, and good luck with this venture that you're involved in in bringing new uh, writers uh, to the fore. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was uh, nice to talk to you. Any final words, Charlie? No, I'm just fangirling, really. You know, anytime you can meet someone who's got their name on outsides of multiple brilliant books is always a good thing. So, <laughs> thanks, David. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>